Well, the last time I was preaching, <clears throat> I think it was Anzac Day 2021, and um, I was preaching from a text that was regarded as by commentators as the most difficult of all of Jesus' parables. And this time around, I'm preaching from a, some sayings from Jesus. It's probably the, his strongest, most difficult of callings to, to his disciples. The difference being, the last time, the ministry team colluded to give me that passage. <laughs> this time, I chose it myself. I think I'm coming to kind of realize why my reports often say, slow learner. <laughs> the, the passage is um, unmistakably gospel-centered. It calls us to follow Jesus at a level that no other religious leader has. And as you will see, it is by far the most dangerous thing we can do. And at the same time, it's, it's the most rewarding thing. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 onwards, it says this. So do not be afraid of them. That is the world out there. Do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then from verse 29, Jesus talks about provision and equipping for, for ministry, for following him. He says, are not two sorrows, sparrows sorry, sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I, also, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And this is where he starts to say even more difficult things. <clears throat> he says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So not a literal sword. It's, it's a figurative sword that he's talking about. A commitment to follow Jesus brings separation between people. He says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And this next series of verses, I still remember it stopping me in my tracks when I first read it. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life 
will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. And then Jesus talks about some fruits of the gospel. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, talking about his disciples, to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Walking distance from where I grew up in the islands of Fiji lays the grave of the first white person to have died there. Her name is Margaret Smith. She is one of the most famous people in our country's history. Every primary school child is taught about her and her husband's exploits. Margaret Smith married David Cargill, a young Scotsman. Only a month after the marriage, they traveled across the globe to the islands of Tonga to become missionaries with the Wesleyan Methodist Church. They spent a few years there, had a couple of kids, and God was pouring out His Spirit on the Pacific Islands. Some of the greatest revivals ever recorded in church history was occurring in the Pacific Islands. But the revival had not touched Fiji yet. And so as a part of a small team, they set sail for the Fiji Islands and took the gospel to the Fijian people. I wonder if you can imagine doing that. If you've ever been there, Fiji is a beautiful place. But back then, (laughs) there was hardly any infrastructure, none of the modern-day conveniences, very few roads, if any, no hospitals, not even a dispensary as you would imagine it, (laughs) no schools, hardly anyone speaks your language, except for a few who were kind of dealing with probably with, with traders, had contact with traders, and yet you, you desire to share the gospel with them. No hotels to kind of take time out in, no resorts, but it did have the, the odd bit reputation of cannibalism. I don't believe it was widespread. <laughs> I wonder if you would accept a call to such a place? And would you take your four kids there with you? Margaret and David were single-minded in the desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But while they were in Fiji, tragedy struck. Margaret fell ill and died. Grief-stricken, 
David traveled back to Tonga <clears throat> to the mission station. But after finding himself incapable of looking after four young children, he returned home to Scotland. Back in Scotland, he was fortunate enough to fall in love again, and he married Augusta Bicknell. Now, you would think that they would settle for a quiet country parish. But would you believe the set sail for the Pacific Islands? His new bride, four children, and a governess. They sailed via Australia, where he preached several times in Tasmania. And in Fiji, <clears throat> they would be blessed with two more children. But something just kept gnawing away at David's spirit. <clears throat> His depression was further compounded when he was struck with the illness himself. And he, he returned to the mission station in Tonga and, and worked alongside the other missionaries there. But ill health, depression, and, and a sense of defeat kept gnawing away at his mental state. Eventually, he died in Tonga. To a person, all his missionary colleagues say that he most likely self-medicated himself to the point of death. I wonder if that is what you think of when you think about surrendering fully to Christ, that, that God will make your life miserable. If, if I surrender to God fully, God will take me to faraway places, away from my family, my friends, my loved ones, and ask me to do really, really difficult things that I don't want to do. I have never had to face such difficulties in ministry, but occasionally I ask myself, and I could have done something else. Sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, you know, I ask myself now, what steps did I take in my life to end up here? <laughs> Tim concurs. <laughs> Jesus never promised his disciples that they would have it easy. Yet he calls us to give up everything, family, friends, a comfortable life for the cause of his mission. Margaret Smith, David Cargill, Augusta Bicknell gave up everything. But given how things ended up for them, one can't help wonder you know, why, why life was so hard. Now, they had sacrificed everything, given up all the comforts. Why did not God look after them? That is not the end of the story. I will, I will return to it. <laughs> the Bible passage we read <clears throat> today records the first instance of Jesus sending out his disciples. The disciples had been with Jesus for a little while. He'd spent time training them. They'd seen him preach. They'd seen him do miracles. And now he's sending them out to do the same. And he says to them, but don't be afraid. You know, it's, it's a dangerous world out there. Earlier in the chapter that, that I didn't read, Jesus actually 
foretells that they, they, could, they could encounter persecution. He says, I'm sending you as sheep amongst wolves. He said, you will be dragged before courts and flogged even before governors and kings. So sometimes even the highest officers in the land will not be able to protect you. It's dangerous. And some people will find your message offensive, so offensive that they will react with strong opposition, persecution, and even violence. You know, in our country, we, we may not face physical danger yet for being a Christian. But we do feel the pressure, don't you? Many people feel the pressure. And I, I wonder if you've noticed that in, in recent years, you, you find it difficult to tell people on a Monday morning that, that you went to church on Sunday. You may talk about the footy. If you went to the theater, you talk about that, about nice weather, which is kind of a bit rare sometimes in Melbourne. <clears throat> Museums, cafes. But you may find it difficult to... To, to mention church. I, I often tell it because I'm a chaplain because I know I go to church and oh, I, I love seeing the rea- reaction on their face a little bit. You know, it's kind of sport for me. <laughs> Jesus says, go. Don't be afraid. Minister to the world. God will be with you. And he talks about how God cares for us. He talks about the, the two sparrows and a soul for a penny. And yet, not one of them falls to the ground without God's knowledge. You know, sparrows are found in abundance in the Middle East. There's nothing significant about it. They don't have bright colors. They don't have bright plumes. And, and a sparrow is sold at marketplaces as meat for the poorest of the poor. Two sparrows for one penny. You wouldn't get much meat from a sparrow, would you? Hardly. Perhaps just flavoring. Imagine being so poor that if you wanted to eat meat, you could only afford the taste of meat. Yet, God says, Jesus says that God is aware when this seemingly insignificant animal falls to the ground. And God says, He even knows the amount of hair on our head. The point being that if if God takes interest in such small things, seemingly unimportant things, would would He not be interested in the work of our ministry, of of what you are trying to do for Him? So there's a command. Jesus says, go. There's a promise of God's providence and care. And there's a warning that it's dangerous out there. So dangerous that some of us may come to harm doing the Lord's work. What do you make of that? There's a a default setting in my life that needs to be reset every morning. My default setting is that God's favor will shine upon me every day. That God will bless me miraculously and Good things will happen, and I'll have an easy life. I pray for it. And from time to time, God does bless me with, with you know, little things and sometimes some amazing things, you know. And I, I remember when <clears throat> I, I, I went, met my wife, Natalie, you know, she's kind of hiding in the middle there. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, we'd been going to the same church. I'd been going to the church for over a year. I'd never met her. You know, she was seeking the Lord in the front. I was being cool, always at the back. 
<laughs> slipping away. <laughs> and both of us were praying, you know, that we'd meet someone. And, and then something happened, and I was talking to the pastor once, and I had an interview, a meeting with a pastor, not an interview. And we're talking about myself getting involved in church ministry a little bit, and, and, uh, and he kind of dawned on him that I probably may not know too many people at church. He said, how many people do you know? I said, oh, hardly. I said, I know you, I know the other pastor, and a couple of other people, because I, I clear out. Him being a wise man, <clears throat> he said, he said, Isaac, why don't you join a connect group for a little while and get to know some people? And so the other pastor you know, gave me three phone numbers. I texted them, and two of them replied. And randomly, I chose one that was the furthest away. And I go knock on the door, and Natalie opens the door. <laughs> and she'd been praying for her husband for, what, five years, seven years, or ten years, babe? Making it sound like desperate here, you know. <laughs> but, but she's a nurse, right? So she was a nurse. She was really involved in kids' ministry at church. And, and, and she would use uh, some of her holidays to go overseas in Asia and Africa and, and you know, use her skills to nurse. And, but she was busy. Didn't, didn't meet a nice, nice guy you know, until she met me. But the point is, you know, God <laughs> did an amazing thing for us. And at the time that was right, he orchestrated. And as she loves to say to, to, to other young, young girls, you know, don't go to the pub looking for a husband. And you know, pray for a husband. God brought her husband home. <laughs> She says, you know, go to church and pray, join a connect group if you're looking for someone. <laughs> so God does do, you know, great things and blesses us with material things also, but it's not guaranteed. And it is certainly not the reason why we should come to faith in Jesus. When I read <clears throat> the entire Bible story of God's dealings with His people, and especially the gospel in the New Testament, what I see is that God wants us to love Him for who He is without material blessings. And when material blessings come away, when blessings come away, He gives them to us for the purpose of further investing into His kingdom in whatever way He may call us to do that. And so what I see is that those who have totally committed to God have surrendered everything to God, including the very lives. Material blessings seem to have no impact in the life or in the love for God and in the ministry for the gospel. They live joyfully in whatever circumstances they find themselves in. As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. I love the writings of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived in very, very difficult times. And, and he had a, a crystal clear understanding of this passage. The call to be disciples of Jesus. Now, if you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, was, he, was, he lived in Nazi Germany, and he was executed by, by Hitler just before the war's end. 
And as a pastor and a theologian, you know, Bonhoeffer was, he actively resisted Hitler. Even before Hitler got elected, he knew what the, he had an inclination of what the outcome was going to be like. And he was famously switched off at the radio station where he was pe- preaching on, on the night that Hitler got elected. And if you've read his book, The Cost of Discipleship, you would be familiar with this quote. <laughs> when Jesus calls you, he calls you to come and die. <laughs> when Jesus calls you, he calls you to come and die. If it hadn't been for Christians and pastors like Bonhoeffer, it is quite possible that the blight on Germany's name as a nation and as a people would have been far worse at the end of the war. And Bonhoeffer is correct in his understanding of God's call to discipleship. But it has to be read in context because any fool can die for a stupid cause. A lot of people are doing that around the world. In reality, it is actually very difficult, if not impossible, to live for Christ, but by the grace of God. His call is so high, so total, so complete, He asks everything of us, that it is actually impossible to fulfill it. He says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Man, I still vividly remember reading this passage for the first time as a 20-year-old. Thinking, man alive, who is this guy? And I'd I'd heard of Jesus before, but but not like this. He is full on. (laughs) No wonder some people hated him. He makes it unmistakably clear that our love and commitment to Jesus and His gospel supersedes all other interests and relationships. If any other religious leader had made such a call and asked for such a commitment, we would call his followers or her followers a cult. And so we are faced with a choice. You know, either he's a Nuthead leading a cult, or he's Christ the Lord. And then he goes on to say, if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me is worthy of me, and whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sometimes to understand what Jesus means, it is often good to see how his earliest followers understood him. All the apostles understood that commitment to Jesus and His mission was their chief purpose. The whole life was structured towards spreading the message of Jesus. And at times, they faced tremendous opposition. All the apostles came to experience persecution, suffering, and even death. And so if none of the apostles were spared from difficulty, then we shouldn't be surprised when we as Christians experienced trials for being a Christian. This is our understanding. Our love and commitment to Jesus and His gospel 
should be so strong, so deep, so commitment that we would endure any suffering for the cause of Christ. Indeed, if it is actually in our sufferings and our most trying circumstances that people have the greatest opportunity to see the work of Christ as a reality in our lives. And God help me if I'm ever tested like that because I know for certain I don't have what it takes. My prayer often is, God, if persecution comes my way, then help me to not let you down. Help me with the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit. Help me like you helped Stephen, the first Christian martyr. You remember him? Remember the reading? Remember the story in the Bible, in the book of Acts? There he is getting stoned to death, and God opens up the heavens, and he sees Jesus standing up. Now, Jesus should not be standing up because his work is finished. That is the picture that the book of Hebrews gives us, that his work is finished, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But there he is. He's standing up. He's saying to Stephen, come on, man. Come on. Don't give up. Don't let me down. Don't cuss those people. You know, don't, don't swear at them. Testify. Testify that I am the Christ. Why? Because in the crowd, giving approval is a man by the name of Saul. And it is the beginning of his conversion process. Saul would become the Apostle Paul, the church's most famous evangelist. Whenever we do the work of the gospel, there is always fruit, even for those who have paid the ultimate price. It is never in vain. You know, the book of Revelation says, you know, John says in chapter 6, he said, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of this earth and, and avenge our blood? Even when you can't see it, God is working behind the scenes. Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops the work you are doing today. Right now, the work that God is doing in your life right now, as quiet as it may be, will be heard one day. It will be heard. It will bear witness. In um, 2012, I had the chance to lead a field service with the British Army soldiers on an exercise in, in southern Germany. The British Army has a, a lot of soldiers from the Commonwealth nations. The largest contingent, certainly in 2012, were soldiers from Fiji. Fijian soldiers made about 6,000 members of the British Army at that stage. Many of them are devout Christians. Nearly all of them at least identify as Christians. <clears throat> in the field service, I invited 
um, a number of them to, to form a choir and sing a couple of hymns. And as they sang, man, the ministry of their voices and their genuine Christian joy touched hearts. There we are, standing in a hollow square, what we call it, probably a thousand plus soldiers, and nearly everyone has tears just streaming down their eyes. When I got up to preach, it was so easy. <laughs> like, the, the, the groundwork had been laid for me. I preached my little heart out, you know. <laughs> if you ever go on a holiday to Fiji, go to a church. Try out a village church. The people in those villages may not be able to read a single note of music, but man, when they sing, there's just like glorious eight-part harmonies just come out. No one's ever taught them. It just passed down from generation to generation. People were talking about this church service for weeks on end. <clears throat> I, I overheard a conversation from a, between two, two corporals. Uh, this one guy, he was sort of from Manchester. I can't do a Manchester accent. <clears throat> and he was having a conversation with some of these Fijian boys. And, uh, <clears throat> and he asked him, he said, how come you guys who live across this world, are all Christians? Well, there's, there's many ways to answer that. And I wouldn't have answered it the way Corporal Lavaki did. And Corporal Lavaki, he's standing to my, to my right. That's, that's a picture of the, the short guy, shorter guy, I should say, because they're all pretty, pretty solid boys. <laughs> Corporal Lavaki, my man, <laughs> he has the voice of an angel. When he sings, he sings for an audience of one, not for the choir, not for the preacher, not for people listening to him. He is singing to God. He is amazing. People are just mesmerized hearing his voice. And he's, ordinarily, he's the quietest guy. You would never know he was a singer like that. And, and so he shoots back without an inch or an ounce of shame. He said, our forefathers were cannibals. When the missionaries came to our country, the Holy Spirit fell on the islands and overnight, our ancestors stopped being cannibals. We have never forgotten that. I wonder if David Cargill would have given up if he could see that one day the descendants of these Fijians would take the gospel back to the UK. I wonder, <laughs> these Fijian soldiers, you know, they, they fill up the garrison churches all over the UK. Wherever there's a garrison, they've got Fijian soldiers, they go into town and they do music ministry. If they don't have a preacher, they've got lay preachers, they preach. I wonder if David Cargill would have given up if he could see that one day, very soon, a new people group would be brought over to Fiji by the British colonialists to work on the cane fields, Hindus and Muslims from India, my ancestors, most of whom who had never heard the gospel. But over time, in, in small trickles, they would become Christians. I wonder if you had given up, if you could see that 
Some of the descendants of these new immigrants would become pastors, missionaries, and theologians. I wonder if you would have given up if you had seen that, <clears throat> that, that some of these people would take the gospel to other parts of the world and serve in other countries, as, as I'm doing. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain for what we do not see. Imagine that, church. Imagine God doing something for you right now that you can't see. What if I told you that His ways and methods are so unique that you can't even imagine how He will use you? In fact, He may use you in ways you don't even know exists or is available to you. David Cargo died on the 25th of April, 1823. Twenty years later, in 1843, a young boy called William Webb Ellis at a school football game, soccer as we call it, in England, decided to pick up the ball and run. Someone thought, oh, that's interesting, and tackled him to stop him. <laughs> and a new sport was born. It took on the name of the town where the school was located. Rugby. There's some people kind of half asleep. They're going to bolt up right now. <laughs> the elders are probably thinking, where are you going with this, man? <laughs> now, I have some um, high school friends in Fiji will be watching this sermon, because I have a little, I can do a plug, you know, I have a little YouTube channel, and I put some sermons on it, all right, so uh, you subscribe to it, it's called Isaac, Isaac Khan Sermons. <clears throat> anyway, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't a Christian growing up, right, I lived, I lived in a Hindu-Muslim household, and, but these guys back home in Fiji, they, they're cheering me on, man, they're watching me, because they are as shocked as I am that I'm now a pastor. <laughs> they pray for me, Bula boys. So I have to explain to them, guys, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in Melbourne, the home of the AFL, which is a great game, and, and not, not too many of them, you know, take, take an interest in rugby. So, so I'm asking them to just, to just park your football bigotry there, right? Just, just put your weapons down <laughs> for a moment and appreciate sport for what it is, right? So the missionaries would bring rugby to the Pacific Islanders. And the Islanders would go, what? What, you mean to say, we don't have to be wussy Christians? You know, we can kind of just tackle each other like we used to do when we were warriors? They say, yeah, yeah, you, that's right. We can play that. <laughs> Scouts from all over the world <clears throat> descend on the Pacific Islands during final seasons and, and poach school kids, offering them all sorts of incentives and scholarships to move abroad. Pacific Islanders play for nations all over the world. Australia, the Wallabies has what? Six to eight Pacific Islanders, maybe more. 
New Zealand, nearly all of them are Pacific Islanders. <laughs> Wales, England, Scotland, Ireland, Japan, USA, Canada, France, Italy. I could, I could go on and on and on. And those players who are committed Christians, they wear Bible verses. They, they write them down in little bandages on their, on, on their bodies. And, and despite the persecution and the threats they get for loss of sponsorship. And at the end of the game, the players from the opposing teams will, will get together in the middle of the ground. They'll get on their knees and say a short prayer, thanking God they've got this opportunity. Tonight is the NRL Grand Final. I heard in the SBS News earlier this week that 46% of the players who are taking the field tonight are Pacific Islanders. And at the end of the game, win or lose, they will get together and pray. In 2016, rugby was played for the first time at the Olympics. It was an abbreviated, smaller, shorter, faster version of the game. They call it seven-a-side. A game perfectly suited to Fijian flair. If you grow up in Fiji, man, you live and breathe seven-a-side rugby. Every grass patch in any settlement that is populated by dozens of people running the ball every afternoon, playing touch football. And that is where they develop their skills, their flair, and their quick hands and creativity. And they feel, if you come from Fiji, you feel like they own this game. <laughs> when, when, when they win, the whole nation rejoices. When they lose, the whole nation mourns. And they have been consistently the most dominant team in this form of the game my entire life. I'm in the 50s now. <clears throat> when the sport was included in the, in the Olympics in, in 2016, they felt that it was only justified that they should win the inaugural gold medal. Anything other than that would be a national tragedy. <clears throat> the lead-up wasn't easy. They are forever losing players to other nations. But this time, <clears throat> it seemed that perhaps not even God's favor was shining on them. A few months out from the Olympics, the strongest cyclone to have ever been recorded anywhere in the world flattened Fiji. Cyclone Winston. And I still remember, Natalie would remember me just watching the TV, just, just weeping and watching these poor people who don't have much and their houses flattened. Entire villages flattened. In many villages, not a single structure was left standing. Two of the players lost their homes. One other player lost a parent in a fierce storm. Well, fittingly, they met England in the final and obliterated them. <laughs> Made them look like grown men were playing school kids. <laughs> According to Forbes magazine <clears throat> at the Rio Olympics, 450,000 condoms were distributed to those who were participating, including 100 female condoms. Now that's an average of more than two condoms per day per athlete. It seems a lot more goes on at these sporting events than just sports. <clears throat> Do you know what the Fijian boys did after they won the gold medal? Now, I'm not at all suggesting they're all saints, but at the end of the game, in front of a global audience, 
of over a billion people. They prayed and sang a hymn. It made news all over the world. I think <clears throat> David Cargill, Margaret Smith, Augusta Bicknell, and all of their six children and descendants would have been so proud of them and thanked God that their sufferings were not in vain. Multitudes are Christians today because 200 years ago, they had faithfully carried their cross in Fiji. I'm going to invite the muses up here now, <clears throat> and I would like to give you an opportunity as they get themselves organized, an opportunity to make a response. About 30 years ago, my youth pastor preached on this topic, and at the end of the sermon, he asked, he asked a question, and has, has God been laying something in your heart that you've kind of been hesitating and saying yes to? Would you say yes today? And, and I had been thinking about something. I was thinking about doing a, a short-term mission to a, what we call a closed country. In the, in the Middle East, and I was kind of hesitating, and, but anyway, you know, I, I, I was a uni student, I didn't have any money, but I put my hand up and said, yes, I want to do that, and my, my friends kind of rallied around me a little bit, and I was able to afford to do this mission, and, and it set my life on a new trajectory, and, and, and here I am today. <clears throat> if, if someone... And if you're sitting here and you feel like, man, God really wants me to some, do something, and I'm kind of being a bit wussy about it. I really should say yes. I want you to think about that. In a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity to raise a hand to pray for that. Verse 39, <clears throat> Jesus says, He who receives me receives the one who sent me. What does it mean? It means that we encounter God in a very, very intimate way. And it is possible for people to have a general knowledge of God. Anyone can have a general knowledge of God. In fact, the Bible says it gives a general knowledge of Himself to all of humanity. But you can have an intimate knowledge of God by accepting who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord and Savior, making Him Lord and and Savior, God incarnate, God living amongst us. It's God demonstrating for us how to live. He's accepting His death and resurrection and acknowledging that we are sinners. Now, have you received Jesus? They may be coming to this church and checking things out a little bit, asking questions. I want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to pray. You don't have to come forward anything. <clears throat> I'm just going to ask people to close their eyes and give you a moment of privacy. <clears throat> so is anyone here <clears throat> who feels like, you know, God has been challenging you to do something, it's something been in your heart, and, and, and you just has be, have been doubtful, maybe not sure, never done something like that before, afraid of stepping out. If that is you, would you raise your hand? I would love to pray for you. Anyone else? And if is anyone here today who has been kind of investigating Jesus, or maybe you were, 
following Jesus and have kind of slipped away and, and want to rededicate yourself. If you, if you raise your hand, I would like to pray for you also. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Okay. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for those who want to step out in faith. Thank you for the work you're doing in their life, Lord. I pray that you would bless them with amazing things. That one day they also will see the marvelous things you have done through them. May the example of Jesus and his earlier followers will be a prime example for them. Fill them with the Holy Spirit, Lord. And grant them success in your way, what they, you are calling them to do. And Lord, for ones who want to dedicate their lives to you, either a rededication or, or coming to you for the first time today, <clears throat> I just ask them to say this prayer quietly after me. God, thank you that you love me. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And when I look at his life, God, I realize how short I fall. But I thank you for his sinless life. I thank you for his death and his resurrection for me. I accept that in faith. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life. And with the best of my intention, I live for Jesus. It is in his name I pray. Amen. And I encourage you, for those of you particularly who played, prayed the last prayer, to <clears throat> come and say the hello to myself or to Tim afterwards to let him know you made the decision. And, uh, and uh, we will just have a little chat with you.